Publisher Podcast, Episode 10. Hey, hey, everybody. Welcome back. I'm really excited to get into another episode this week. This one is, again, a an old interview from the Women in Publishing Summit. It's with Lucy Hay, and it's from a couple of years ago. And I'm really excited that Lucy Hay is coming back this year to the 2021 Women in Publishing Summit. Her interview was so much fun. We not only talked about... Um, writing screen screenplays so for those people who want to get their novels turned into books or just write screenplays right away well we also talked about noir fiction the genre noir fiction which was really entertaining and a fun conversation to have so i'm sure you'll enjoy this conversation and i know you'll love lucy when she comes back in 21 so if you haven't make sure you head over to the women in publishing summit.com and get registered you can register for a very limited free conference or you can buy your conference ticket, which is on pre-order. I'm sorry, it's on early bird pricing now. Um, And I would highly suggest you take advantage of that. We have over 50 presentations and workshops and a live live, quote-unquote online event that we're doing over the course of three days where we'll have live workshops and sprints and um, yoga, meditation. I mean, I'm throwing that one in there one week just to get us all prepped and, and for fun and for energy. But Lots of really, really great workshops on the craft of writing, on showing, not telling, on how to write a um, um, foreshadowing into your book. On And those are just some of the writing craft for fiction. We have nonfiction stuff. We have how to sell more books. We have marketing, a full day of marketing. We have business of being an author courses. We've got writing, publishing, selling, great interviews. There's so much stuff. Don't miss it. Summit.com. Also, if you're enjoying this podcast, I would really appreciate it if you would subscribe wherever you're listening to it and leave a great review. Reviews and subscriptions help the podcast um, get exposure to new people who may be interested. So that would be really helpful to, to me and to what we're trying to do with the women in publishing community in general. So I hope you enjoy this episode. I know you're going to love Lucy. Then head on over and make sure you get registered for the event. Thanks so much. Have a great day. Welcome to the Publisher Podcast, a place where you can come to get inspiration, motivation, help, encouragement, and support in your journey to write, publish, and sell your book. Hosted by Alexa Bigwarf. Cause I've been where you've been, and I felt what you're feeling, and I don't want to get in your Okay, welcome. We are featuring the stories of success and challenges and journeys of women involved somewhere in the element of publishing, whether they're authors, whether they work in the publishing environment, or do other things as our guest today. Well, she's also an author, but she is also a screenplay writer. Today, we are very happy to bring you Lucy Hay, who is a novelist, a script editor, and a blogger who helps writers via her Bang to Write consultancy. Lucy is the producer of two Brit thrillers, Deviation, published in 2012, and Assassin in 2015, as well as the script editor and advisor on numerous other features and shorts. Lucy's also the author of writing and selling thriller screenplays for Camara Books, um, the creative essentials range, as well as it follows ups on drama screenplays and diverse characters. Her debut crime novel, The Other Twin, is now out with Orenda Books and has been featured in The Sun and Sunday Express newspapers plus Heat World and Poser Magazine. So thank you so much for being here and to talk about such an interesting um, element of the publishing world. Yes, well, I mean, when it comes to screenwriting, um, that's pretty much outside, you know, the publishing world so much more into kind of film production sure. so uh, and as a but as a script editor a lot of what i do is is very similar to what editors do in the in the publishing world onto books so you know i'm looking at story development i'm looking at characterization i'm looking at all the kind of tropes that that might come in whether things feel stale and old i'm looking at structure you know any kind of craft issues to do with storytelling so therefore as a, you know screenwriting and novel writing 
interesting. They're really, really similar in that regard. Um, probably what is different is obviously the visual element is is obviously crucial in a screenplay because what you see is what you get. Uh, and also probably the length as well because a screenplay is probably about a third. Even a feature screenplay is probably about in the region of eighteen to 20,000 words, whereas uh, a genre book would be more like 80,000 words. So, so you know, between a, between a third um, and, and a, you know, or a quarter, even a quarter shorter sure. uh, um, in terms of screenwriting. So it's, it's the length, I think, that puts a lot of screenwriters off. Uh, so screenwriters have uh, an advantage in, uh, over novelists in a lot of ways because, of course, there's so much convergence between novels and screenplays now. You know, everybody wants their novel to be made into a movie or made right. into a TV show. Um, and uh, screenplays have to be very, very heavily crafted. You can't get away with any waffle whatsoever in terms of the pl plot construction in particular. So screenwriters actually do have uh, a lot of craft advantages over novelists mm -hmm. because they can move um, fairly smoothly between the two mediums. Whereas I think if you start as a novelist and then have to learn screenwriting, it might be more of a steep learning curve. So, I mean, it, it, it just depends. I mean, it, it, I don't think there's any accident that a lot of screen... Uh, screenwriters and and people who work in the screenwriting world like I do um, can write um, novels crime fiction novels in particular because crime fiction obviously is very plot based because mm -hmm. um, if there isn't a crime there wouldn't be a story so right, right. Um, I don't think it's any accident that a lot of uh, screenwriters are moving into the crime fiction world so based on what you just said, then, if we have someone who is thinking that they want a book that's a movie, would you suggest then that they just start straight into the screenplay writing and learn that craft? And then or how uh, maybe we should back up a little bit and you can come back to that. Okay. But wh where okay. is the best place for someone to start that just has this passion for? I mean, ever since I saw uh, Cheryl Strayed's memoir turned into the movie wild i've been like i want to write a memoir like that that turns into a movie so where do you start do you start with the book or do you start with the screenplay oh well i mean i think in the case of memoirs then i, I think definitely you should write the book first mm -hmm. uh, memoir is extremely hard well just any biopic because right. we, we call them memoirs in the screenwriting well we call them biopics or <laughs> autobiopics any anything like that is extremely hard to sell because they're nearly always dramas mm -hmm. drama is a very very hard sell in the screenwriting world a lot of people look at all the, the awards like oscars and stuff and and see certain dramas do fairly well at the box office and think that they are a good thing to do and actually in in real terms they're not they they are kind of they're very hard to to sell especially off the page to producers wow. uh, I, I wrote a, a whole book on this and discovered that the average screenwriter who wants to make a a drama movie uh doesn't sell it in the traditional sense they'll write the movie they'll have to um go out there and and uh, raise money you know be it be their own producer get directors on board, you know, get talent attached themselves, you know, all that kind of stuff and build it all up together. Um, it, it's not a question of just kind of selling the screenplay like you might with a, with a horror, for example. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, if it's between drama and genre, producers will always want to buy genre over the top because um, in the screenwriting world, we talk about genre being things like horror, comedy, um, uh, fantasy, all, all these different things. And then drama is everything else that doesn't quite fit, you know, like mm -hmm. the memoir, bio style picks and uh, things like that. So if you're going to write a memoir, definitely write the book first and, and hope that it could be a bestseller. You know, another example would be The Glass Castle. Yes. That's my that's my second favorite memoir. <laughs> yeah, it's I love I love that book. Um, so you know, I'm I'm really keen to see that movie. So it then then you make it like pre-sold because if people love the book, then they'll love the movie. Or even mm -hmm. if they don't love the movie, they'll still probably go and see it, and they'll and they'll spend money on it. And and film is very much uh, kind of beholden to the idea of you know because making a film costs so much money. You know, sure. even even a cheap film is really expensive whereas if you um uh, publish a book then you can do it yourself even 
you know, for, for pennies. So always write the book first, I think, uh, especially in the case of, of things that are more dramery uh, than, than genre. Um, in terms of genre, um, I think it depends uh, in, in lots of ways. If you're going to write something that's very high budget, then probably the book would be a good idea, again, because, um, for example, uh, something like The Martian, mm. It, it, it just turned into a massive phenomenon, you know, self-published book, got picked up by Ridley Scott, became this massive movie, got Oscar nods, you know, every, everybody liked that film. Um, and it was and it was one of the returns to form for Ridley Scott as well for, for doing one of his cool space movies. It, it attracted, um, you know, some criticism over the, over the protagonist because I think he was black in the book and they changed him to Matt Damon and... Uh. and like that um but i haven't read the book yet i must i must uh, read read the martian as well because uh, I, I really enjoyed the movie um and it was a good it was a good old-fashioned adventure mm-hmm. but it was extremely high budget um so if you're going to do that i don't tend to recommend that people uh, write screenplays that are incredibly high budget <laughs> or are dramas you need to find that kind of space in between to find you know just to make it more uh, viable for an actual producer to be able to pick it up and say, I can make this because right. obviously you can send your screenplay to Ridley Scott and if he likes it, then hopefully he'll buy it. But there's only a few Ridley Scotts, mm-hmm. you know, whereas there's loads of producers further down the scale that might have access to 500 grand, but they haven't got access to 500 million. Right. You know, so if you're going to write 500 million pounds kind of budget style <laughs> stuff that's set on Mars, then you probably want to write the book <laughs> I thought that's good advice. So did you, you started off though as a novelist, right? Or were you already in the screenplay, screenwriting world before you wrote your, your two novels? Um, I actually started off as a script reader. So I don't, you know, a lot of, a lot of people don't know what's, what that job is. And basically I was writing I was reading screenplays for people, you know, production companies, literary agents, various initiatives, screenwriting competitions and stuff, and then and then writing reports on them. And uh, obviously, there's millions and millions of screenplays everywhere. So I started doing it for um, private clients as well. And I started doing it uh, via my blog, Bang to Write, and offering that as a service um, because my blog became very, very popular mm-hmm. uh, because which I started it to to write about craft mostly and also about networking and careers and and things that that screenwriters ask me about all the time and things like meetings and when I was talking with producers and literary agents and and things like that and I just thought I've got all this information I need to do something with it so I started writing these articles and they call it content marketing now right <laughs> the fancy term yeah it's like <laughs> blogging basically it's like you know just just kind of attracting people to you by actually sounding like you know what you're talking about because you're involved in that world um and so I instinctively kind of went towards that with with blogging and social media and kind of attracted more people to me and as time grew on I I got jobs via it um I got I got involved in London screenwriters festivals I started doing courses that kind of thing and then one day I got an email in my inbox and it said um i've been reading your articles on genre uh because i i really love genre films um and i and i had been writing a um a series of genre articles in that time i think it was uh, uh i think i'd written them in 2009 or 2010 something like that and um i was just using it uh, to say to people you know if you're going to if you're going to be writing a genre piece because in the uk we have um, a really good, well, we had a really good um, reputation for drama and not such a great reputation for genre back in the day. That's changed now uh, because we're releasing more and more movies that are, that are genre now. But we were well known for like period drama and, and, and Ken Loach style dramas where everybody lives in a tower block, but not quite so well for, for genre at one point. Um, so I started writing about genre because I said to, I was saying to writers, you know, try and write some more genre pieces because you're more likely to sell them. Um, and, and also I wanted them to come to me 
so I could, you know, read them for them and, you know, and, and do my consultancy with them. Mm-hmm. Um, but I got this um, approach from a publisher saying, we've been reading your your genre pieces um, and would be really interested in commissioning you to write a book about nice. genre. <laughs> Um, so I didn't actually go chasing after them. They came to me, um, and I was like, wow, yeah, that, w- that would be really great. Cause uh, lots of my bang to writers over the years said, you know, you should write a book. And I was like, you know, where, do, where would I start? I don't know where I would start. I've, I've got so much kind of screenwriting info and I didn't want to write kind of like a how to book. And I didn't want to write a kind of book that's kind of a bit too open. And then there was loads, there was a few books that were already out about script reading. So I just didn't really know where to start. So it was like a sign from the universe. And they said, you know, you, you seem to be, you know your stuff about genre. Would you write something on genre? Which one would you like to write about? And I kind of sat down and thought about it and thought, well, actually, I would, I would really like to write about thriller. Mm-hmm. Because I've seen so much information about horror, so much information about romantic comedies, so many, in, 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 so much information about female leads or character tropes and things like that at that at that time, and I'd seen nothing on thriller, and I'd already written a a few. Um, thriller uh, spec screenplays myself and I'd also done um, a couple of consultancies with with some uh, movies that had come out by that point and I'd found a complete dearth of information about thriller screenplays so I was like yeah I'd like to I might as well write a book about thrillers because that's the book that I wanted to read and I couldn't find when I was doing my research so um so yeah that's that's what I did and that's how it started and that's how I kind of got into writing non-fiction about writing well you know you touch on a couple of interesting points well a lot of interesting points here this is something that I know absolutely nothing about so all of it is super cool and interesting to me I think that any of us who have this idea of writing a good fiction book um, have in the back of our mind that one day we'll see it on a big screen. But Mm -hmm. I love what you talk about with the blogging element too, because when, when I'm working with authors, I'm often encouraging them to do a lot of this content strategy. And I think you just nailed it in your description on why it's so important to be blogging and to be providing content and to be growing your platform through the education and the materials that you're that you're putting out there. And I mean, how cool is that? That because of the great information you were putting out there, it directly led to your book. So that is the, uh, which that was the writing and selling thriller screenplays I'm imagining. Mm -hmm. And um, that one is available everywhere. People can buy books, I'm assuming, if someone yeah, wants to go get it. Yeah, on, on Amazon, and uh, I just had a, a new one out recently on diverse characters, and that one was for um, fiction as well as screenplays. And, uh, and I wrote one, as I mentioned, on, on drama screenplays too, because I noticed between um, thriller and drama, people were really, really kind of getting confused as to what drama really meant. You know, right. they were writing very stereotypical content everybody's miserable everybody's so upset all the time you know it's like that's not what drama is about so <laughs> get like short films as well because we get a lot of kind of stereotypical tropey content in short films you know everybody's depressed everybody wants to kill themselves and it's like <laughs> you know and, and we see the same I mean a lot of writers think that I'm exaggerating when I say I'm I'm reading the same screenplays over and over and over again just by different people and they go no that's not possible that's not possible um and it is it it genuinely is I I think it's because we're all part of a herd you know you know we're like a human pack and we have these kind of ideas and myths and stories and they all kind of get recycled and rehashed and people think they're being original and actually they're doing really really boring things and (laughs) the same things over and over again so if you read enough uh kind of contents that's behind the scenes and then you go and watch it in the movies and you read the books and you do it you go bloody hell there's so little originality everything's coming around there's this mad soup all the time of just rehash stuff um so that was kind of like my main kind of remit of bang to write was to say you know you've got to push yourself outside of that zone 
You know, it's, it's okay to have these ideas that are a bit, you know, tropey, that are a bit, um, you know, that everybody else is doing. But as long as you recognize that and you push yourself, then you can get out of that zeitgeist and actually create something really exciting because people go, and it takes us from, God, not this again, <laughs> through, to, through to, why haven't I seen this before? This is awesome. This is amazing. You know, you don't want, because when people say, oh, originality, they often mean something completely out of the left field and right. then you can't recognize it and you go, right. what the hell is this? I don't know what this is. You know, you want to do it out of the left field. You know, mm -hmm. it, it, it's, it's something, no, uh, uh, to left of the middle. So it's something that you recognize, but something that's new and fresh. Um, so yeah, that, that's, that's kind of the key really with, with, all the work that I do, not just on the blog, but with, with all the writers that come to me, you know, they'll, they'll, you know, I want to push them all the time and say, you know, I've seen this before. How is this different? How can you twist this? How can you, how can you push this beyond that, that kind of tropey zone? Um, you know, how is this different to something that we've seen before? Because that's what we all want as audiences. We want something that we can recognize, but makes us go, Oh yeah, I haven't seen it like that. So how does somebody do that? Because it, it sounds it sounds like, okay, I can do that. But then you go to sit down and you're like, crap, I just wrote, uh, I don't know, give me any Jane Eyre book, you know, or <laughs> something. <laughs> I just wrote, you know, this book again. How do, how do you get beyond what's already, what's already been done to make it unique? Well, I think ideally you look at your concepts and you kind of road test that in the first instance rather than, you know, rather than just sitting down and writing a book or writing a screenplay and just going, oh, I've got this brilliant idea and just writing it. I think it's a really good idea to really interrogate your ideas and actually kind of work out at baseline what it is and, and how it's like something that came before, but how it's different. So I always say to my writers, whether they're a screenwriter or a novelist, let's write a log line so like a two a two sentence pitch of what this is and actually work out exactly what's in it in terms of the characters and the conflict of the situation and then work out and and look look at it and go okay what is like this what what have i seen that's like this before and then immediately you can go back to those produced properties or those published properties and and go okay mine is is like this but mine is different because of this or mine is different because of whatever so you've identified what's the same but equally you're identifying what's different as well because a lot of the problem that writers have is they they're too samey they haven't got enough of what's different in it um and that is a major issue at the moment so if if you actually do that then you can actually avoid falling into all these traps and pitfalls um, and immediately make it much more interesting um, however even if you have written the book and or written the screenplay and you've sent it out to beta readers and the beta reader comes back and says oh this is just the hunger games or oh this is this is just this is just the maze runner because of course we can see similarities between the hunger games and the maze runner immediately mm -hmm. obviously Right. Uh, what's but what's different about them you know what I mean we know what's the same about them they're both dystopian they're both young adult they're both um set in a world where everything's gone to hell and teenagers are our only hope and I think I think to be honest if teenagers are only our only hope in the future I think we're all gonna die <laughs> <laughs> especially teenagers today <laughs> yeah. but you know in in YA dystopia we know that the, the the most people that read those books are teenagers so obviously they're going to want to be in the in the title role right. so you know the hunger games is is different because it's got a female lead mm -hmm. the maze runner is different and notable in in this subgenre because it's got a male lead that hardly ever happens right. um, they've got nearly um nearly all males in in the cast list as well again very unusual in ya to have all men mm -hmm. uh, not so much in in other genres but but in this subgenre is very unusual uh, they're all in a maze of course in the maze runner in the hunger games they get put in a tv show you know these type of things so you know it's the same but it's different right uh, and that's what you've got to kind of identify with your own stuff so say you've written the screenplay or the novel and somebody's come back with saying, oh, well, I don't see what's different from this. 
and, and between this other published content, you've got to sit down and go, okay, what's, what was in that original piece that's been published, it's been produced, I can't do anything about that. And if it's, if it's actually uh, reminding someone too much of that stuff, then I need to change mine. Right. Because I can send my stuff out so the cows come home, but the same feedback's going to keep coming back all the time. This is too like something. So you've got to sit down and go, okay, how is mine like what came before? How can I twist mine and make it different? Um, and that's the only way forwards for you. Because if you're reminding people too much that's not you, yeah. then you've got to, uh, you know, if it's it's too much of a rehash, you've got to change it. You've got to twist it. There is no, no way forward without doing that. Um, you can avoid that altogether by, by checking out your concepts in the first instance. But if you have not done that, and you've written something that is too like something before, then you've got to go back to your uh, to your outline, even and to the events and and to the characters and to the world of your story, and actually work out how can I change these things. Yeah. So um, on the since you like the criminal and the thrillers, those types of things, what are you? I feel like. Those, that's my favorite genre. And I feel like it's always hard to find good movies if I'm looking for a good psychological thriller. I mean, there was the, was it the girl with the dragon tattoo that came out not too long ago that was pretty good, um, both book and movie. But what are you seeing that are kind of trendsetters and that are, are, are you seeing stuff that's going to make for good movies for those of us who are anxiously awaiting for another good, <laughs> good thriller or psychological crime? Well, I, I think the worst thing you can do is write for the marketplace. Um, you've got to identify your target audience and actually work out who would love to see your story in the first instance. Writing to the marketplace is no good and chasing trends because by the time you finish something and it's gone through all your feedback and stuff, it, it's probably moved on. Um, however, if you actually uh, immerse yourself in what your target audience likes, then you can start seeing the types of things that they enjoy, and then you can twist them and keep it fresh and keep it to your own uh, level and, and make it interesting to you as well. Because the last thing you want to do is write solely for the marketplace and solely for your target audience. You've got to write for yourself as well. Otherwise, you end up as a hack and nobody wants to be a hack. Uh, and equally, it just ends up with a story that's a bit dead and a bit flat because if you don't really believe in your story and have a have a passion for it, then it will show on the page, you know, whether it's a screenplay or whether it's a novel. Uh, so when I was looking at um, psychological thrillers, um, and I, I decided that I wanted to try my hand at one because I'd, I'd always wanted to write um, a, a crime fiction novel, yeah. but I'd never really had the kind of um, time or, or the inclination to until I, I started in 2005. And the first thing I did was I immersed myself in that world. And I thought, you know, what do I really enjoy reading? That was the first thing I thought about. Um, and what do I enjoy watching? Um, I enjoy watching movies with detectives in and, and whether they're actual literal detectives or whether they, they are just investigating something. Um, so I really, I really did a lot of research into the movies. And of course, I'd already done that with, with my thriller screenplays book as well. So I was, always, uh, I was already kind of one step ahead. So things like Chinatown. I absolutely love Chinatown. I don't love Roman Polanski, obviously, but I do love that movie. Um, and it's just really, really well done. It's a classic for a good reason. Um, you know, everything about it pays off. I loved, I loved all the hiding in plain sight and, and things like that. It's just, it was a really, a really clever piece of screenwriting. Um, and so I thought, well, you know, what are the, what are the books that I like that are like that, you know, that have those kind of investigating characters and obviously would be Agatha Christie. Uh, Chinatown is very much in the Agatha Christie tra tradition of of going to various people and finding out clues and then relating them to other things and you know hiding in plain sight all that kind of stuff so Agatha Christie was an obvious one to immerse myself in Hercule Poirot Miss Marple all that kind of stuff but I knew instinctively I didn't want to write 
like p- police procedurals. That wasn't right. what I was most interested in as a reader. I've never really read police procedurals. I do have favourites. I really like the um, the Roy Grace novels by Peter James, for instance. I think they're really great. But generally speaking, I don't tend to re- to read police procedurals. So I knew that I wanted to write about a character who found themselves, you know, out of their depth. And in one thing that really kind of pulled me in was the kind of domestic, what they're calling the domestic noir thriller. Mm. Uh, So we're talking things like Gone Girl, Girl on Train, um, Before I Go to Sleep, you know, those kind of novels about somebody who gets, who's not a policeman, who's not a, who's not a classic detective character, but gets pulled into a situation against her will, nearly always her. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, you know, usually a housewife or, or a young woman or, or some, you know, something terrible's happened, you know, their husband's murdered someone or they, or they think they have or, or something like that. And they get pulled into this situation, usually against their will and things get out of control. So I was immediately pulled towards this new, I mean, domestic noir's always been around, but it right. suddenly became really, really popular in about 2009, 2010 with Gone Girl. Um, and suddenly it was everywhere. Yeah. Um, so that's, that's what really kind of hooked me in. And it made me think, okay, who are the types of people that read these books? And the general target audience for a domestic noir uh, kind of book would be a woman between 35 and, and 55 generally. She's usually married. She's usually got a few kids. Um, she's usually working part-time or has a, has a career um, and likes to, and they, she's usually white as well. I was interested to find out in, in my, um, in my research. That doesn't mean that, that black women weren't reading them. That doesn't mean that men weren't reading them generally either, but generally speaking, the target audience was someone like me, basically. Right. right. <laughs> and I thought, oh, that's interesting. Um, and I started to read as many as I could. I started watching the film adaptations of them all. I started on my blog. I started doing like um, a book versus film kind of breakdown of of uh, adaptations to kind of learn how how to kind of view the book to the film, all that kind of stuff. And actually think about visuals, think about plot construction, just really immersing myself in that world. and. Uh, and bring my own unique twist to it because when I sat down and and I looked at my target audience and I looked at the types of things that they were reading about it was nearly always very middle class mm-hmm. kind of very um white issues that were happening in these books all the time which isn't which is understandable because you know white women right. who are probably middle class are reading are reading these these books and I thought wouldn't it be cool if we did a Agatha Christie type of tradition Chinatown meets domestic noir but with diverse characters uh-huh. uh, and and that's when things kind of exploded in my brain because I have a lot of knowledge of like the LGBT community and I thought you know that would be that would be really interesting to see a world of this domestic noir uh, kind of situation but from the point of view of the LGBT community then there's a character in that um, well there's several characters in the other twin that are, that are exactly that and also I thought what else am I good at what else do I know about and the other thing that I know about of course is social media um, you know, because as a content marketer, content marketer, <laughs> um, you know, I spend all day on on social media and 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 building platforms, and and I thought, you know, I want to use that knowledge and that understanding of, of the online world in there as well. And, and there's a blog uh, which is which was part of the major kind of plot point of the book, um, uh, which is part of the other twin as well. So I, I kind of, cre- it was kind of like a mad kind of mitosis of the things that I was interested in, the things that I was passionate about, plus, you know, my expertise in in, in the background of, of target audience and, and how I'd worked with writers before, um, meeting the things that I love, like domestic noir and, and, and crime fiction. So, um, you know that that's the key i think is you don't have to sell out in order right. to 
sell it's but but if you want to if you want to sell a book you do actually have to sell it so you have to know who you would be selling it to as well mm -hmm. um and one thing that's has come back in all the reviews for the other twins so far as is people have said that they've loved the diverse characters. They, it feels fresh. It feels relevant. It feels new. Uh, it's something that they haven't um, necessarily read about before because the target audience, you know, they're mostly white middle class women. And they haven't read about these things before. And I've even had uh, people write to me and, and thank me and say, I'd never thought about these issues before. And, and this book has actually made me think more about how I relate to the LGBT community, which is amazing which yeah. is wonderful. That's exactly what you would, would love as a writer. Um, and also in terms of um, just making sure that you actually got something that people want, you know, because otherwise if you write something and it's just for you, it's going to stay on your desktop forever. That's just yeah. the way of it. That's so true. Oh, that's a really good point. I, I, I like that point about how you can use even a fiction book to, um, <clears throat> to send a social message as well. And, and I think right now the world is ripe for these kind of social messages. I think they are. I mean, a lot of people are looking to fiction because the world is so crazy now, mm -hmm. you know, with everything that's going on and depressing as well. People are looking more and more to books, to movies for their, not just for their leisure time, but to actually make themselves feel better. You know, I don't think it's, I don't think it's any accident that um, in a world that continuously assaults women's rights, for example, that the domestic noir especially where women get their revenge, which happens right. a lot in domestic noir, has risen massively. Yeah, absolutely. Because it's, it's got a cathartic element to it. <laughs> we can, live, we can exactly. live vicariously through these characters that are absolutely. knocking off the men, the assholes in their life, right? <laughs> yep, yep, definitely. And I, and I think it's really interesting that so many of these books, you know, are, are ardently feminist in the way that they, they um, uh, deal with, with issues. Um, so, you know, not just, not just with crime fiction, but in terms of sex as well, since... Since Fifty Shades of Grey, we've seen a rise of interest in um, erotica, but not erotica that kind of humiliates women or class right. them as little girls or anything like that. But, you know, actual feminist erotica um, and femi even feminist porn as well yeah, in right. the screenwriting world. You know, people are saying, I don't want these horrible messages about women anymore. I want to see something that empowers me because I, I feel like a strong woman. Why am I not seeing myself on screen? Why am I not seeing myself in books? And the good news is that, it, that we are now. We're starting to see this much more, uh, which is fantastic. So, um, you know, long may it continue. Yeah, I hope so. So uh, on that note, then what would be some of the best tips that you have for somebody who after listening to this is just like, I am ready to write either this fantastic book or this fantastic screenplay that I'm going to send to Lucy to tear apart so that I know it's, <laughs> that I know it's ready and wonderful. What are your best tips for getting there? I think in the first instance, like I was mentioning earlier, you should definitely road test your concepts. Mm -hmm. You know, I think your best writing is done by thinking. And I think doing your planning in advance really does pay dividends because you won't get lost and, and you won't have to have to go back to page one multiple, multiple times. Um, because if you've actually worked out your foundation, so like, you know, what it's about, who's in it, you know, why they're in it, um, what they want, you know, all those things. If you've, if you've worked it all out in advance uh, and you can do it as, as um, in-depth or, or not as you like. I mean, uh, J.K. Rowling has a whole spreadsheet of, you know, with, a, with a section devoted to every chapter and all that kind of stuff. That doesn't work for me. I, I, I basically write a short pitch uh, and I do some research and interrogate it and, and, and read a few books and watch movies and stuff and, and relate to, to, the question, uh, to the pitch in that regard. Then I'll write, you know, a, a series of beats of what would be in the book or the screenplay, you know, from beginning, middle and end, you know, and I have just three sections on my piece of paper you know, beginning, middle, end, um, and, and what would happen vaguely, you know, so, so it's kind of like a skeleton outline right. 
uh, that that's what I do because I can't do it too in depth. Um, I like to have a few surprises along the way, uh, means, <laughs> even for yourself. <laughs> yeah, definitely. You know, I, I, there have been cases where people have, uh, you know, in my screenplays or, or my novels, you know, somebody's somebody's died or something. It's like, oh my god, how did that happen? <laughs> I can't believe it. How did they die? You know, and then I've had to undo it, or or, or, or I've gone, oh, amazing. You know, that's exactly what should have happened. I didn't even know. You know, right, so. Right. Uh, but, you know, I like to have that skeleton in place, but other people like to have, you know, really, really in-depth planning. It, it, it depends who you are. You know, some people are somewhere in the middle. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, uh, in te- in road test your concept first. My second tip, I think, would learn everything you can about characters. And when I say characters, I mean not just characters and what they want, because I think most people understand that a character has to have a motivation of some kind, you know, right, especially right. a protagonist. A protagonist has got to want something, um, uh, and, and it's their story of getting that thing or not getting that thing. That's that's generally what happens in stories. Um, but also the, the antagonist, why does that person want to stop them, you know? Because if you don't know why the antagonist wants to stop the protagonist, then you could end up with a with a, a comic book villain, which would be <laughs> really boring. Because um, even comic book villains these days, you know, like the Joker, he mm-hmm. he's not he's not 2D like he used to be. You know, Heath Ledger's um, Joker got a I think he got an Oscar, didn't he? Because it yes. was so good and so yeah. dark, and and we learned about his backstory, and and he was a, he was a really formidable villain. So you can't get away with comic book villains these days even if you're writing a comic book (laughs) so um so not just motivations but also role functions as well um and when i say role functions you know most people get that you need a protagonist you need to get and you need an antagonist that's generally what you need but you also need secondary characters and they need to pull their weight in the narrative and they need to do specific things in the narrative because if we don't know what they're for then there's no point in them being there. In a novel, you can get away with thematic characters. So characters will just turn up for like one scene or or two or three scenes and then they can disappear. You can't get away with that in screenplays. You know, they have they have to do something uh, quite specific. So you need mentor characters, you need love interest characters, you need comic reliefs, you know, you need you need all these different types of character and they need to to actually help or hinder the protagonist in their goal for some reason. And um, Joss Whedon, he's he's disgraced himself recently, but <laughs> <laughs> another one in a long line okay. uh, but he has a great um tip which is everybody has a reason to live which is you know even your secondary characters you know they don't know they're the secondary characters they're the protagonists in their own world you know and that's right he in and another great tip is um you know the the antagonist doesn't know he's the bad guy he thinks mm. he's the protagonist, you know. Mm. Nobody wakes up in the morning and goes, ha-ha, I'm evil, you know. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know, maybe Donald Trump does, I don't know. But, <laughs> but um, you know, he, he he has to have a reason for doing what he does. Otherwise, what's the point, you know? He just ends up two-dimensional again. So, um, you know, lots of people go, oh, well, I'm not having a love interest because love interests are boring. And, and what they mean is I'm bored of women always being the love interest. So make the love interest a man. You know, we saw that in Wonder Woman recently. And that was one of the great points of Wonder Woman uh, was that Steve Trevor was her love interest and we needed him. So he could symbolize Wonder Woman's love and compassion for the world. You know, we needed Mm -hmm. him. Otherwise, she would have come across as a bit of an ice maiden. Right. And, and we've had that character before. We wanted this, you know, fully three-dimensional female hero who's not a, just a kick-ass hottie, who actually is a real person. And, and real people tend to have love interests. They tend to. You know, most of us do. So, I mean, that's not to say that people who don't um, are lacking in any way because they're not. But generally speaking, people get married or have a boyfriend or have a girlfriend or or whatever or have a family um you know have friends that they're extremely close to you know they have this circle of people around them generally speaking um so we need to reflect that in in fiction because otherwise it's like oh why is everybody a hermit that doesn't make a lot of sense again it's that thing that we don't recognize you know there is kind of there is a sense of majority thinking to to audiences 
which in itself can be a problem if you don't interrogate that, because then you can just end up recycling boring things that we've seen before. But um, it's not inauthentic to say that the average person has a love interest. It's just, it's boring that women are always the love interest and men are always the hero. So let's swap that around. Let's change it in, in other ways as well. And the final tip I think would be learn about structure. Yeah. Because one thing, and, and plotting just generally, uh, one thing that you have to learn as a screenwriter is plotting. Like, for instance, um, you have to know the ending before you begin your screenplay. When you write a novel, you can start without knowing the ending. Um, I don't recommend it personally, and it's not something I would do because I think I'm just too much of a screenwriter now. I always start with the end and work backwards to the beginning. And I think that's a really good way to kind of approach stories because you always know then where you're going right. and you don't get lost and you don't get overwhelmed. Um, and also frequently when I'm actually dreaming up stories now, I frequently see the end before I see anything else. I mean, when I was writing The Other Twin, I saw the ending so clearly. And it was about actually finding out how to get to that ending that was that kept me interested in the story because I saw it like a movie in my mind. I was like, what's happened? Why is this happening? And that immediately made me engage in the story and made me passionate about the story and kept me going. And certainly everybody's who's, who's come back with positive reviews for the book said, we love the ending. And that's because, and that's one thing about the story that never changed. Yeah. Nothing changed about it. Uh, the the location didn't change. What happened didn't change. Practically, what it, what they the characters all said barely changed. It was um, it's it was really uh, interesting kind of journey to go on as uh, as my first crime fiction novel to actually do it in a screenwriting way. Um, so I think that's a good tip: is start with the ending a lot of the time because then you don't get lost um but you don't have to um if you learn about structure the thing is nobody cares how you do it there's all these different approaches of how you look at structure like i, I look at it from you know a very classic way with the three acts you know aristotle's kind of idea of the setup the conflict and the resolution mm -hmm. um because it just seems like beginning, middle, end to me. That's, that's all it is, you know, not necessarily in that order. Um, but other people, you know, see structure in a more sequential way. Uh, there's loads of different ways that you can break structure down. John Truby's got the 22 steps. We've got the save the cat method. You know, a lot of, a lot of, novelists like Save the Cat, for instance, which is Blake Snyder's idea of um, all the different uh, ways of the hero's journey. There's the hero's journey as well, of course, by Vogler and, and Joseph Campbell. Um, and I think I would say to people is, is read all of these things and, and watch as many things and relate them to um, plotting and how it works. So you can actually not so you can copy them, but so you can actually approach these things in your own way and actually have the vocabulary to be able to describe what's going wrong with your own work. So when I had a, I had a major kind of meltdown on the other twin at one point, and, and I was like, God, what is wrong with this thing? I was like, no, 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 no. And my agent really wasn't really sure what, what was wrong with it. My beta readers weren't really sure what was wrong with it. I was like, oh, God, I'm never going to get to the bottom of what the problem is here. And then I suddenly realized that my second turning point in, in the structure needed to be the midpoint. And that was what was going wrong with it. But I would never have been able to put my finger on that if I hadn't done so much work into plotting and structure. Right. Uh, I would probably still be writing the damn thing now because no one could agree exactly what the problem was. And I had to get to, to that point myself and actually go because I had all this feedback from people and they were going oh yeah I'm not sure maybe it's this maybe it's that maybe it's whatever and I was like no 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 I had I had that gut instinct and I was able to follow it through and able to believe in myself and fix my story because I had that expertise and a lot of writers they feel daunted and they feel overwhelmed by structure and by plotting and so they it, rather than actually kind of go back to their worksheets or go back to their books or go back to whatever it is that they use to to help them find their way through uh they kind of write round the problem right. and then it becomes woolly and a little bit it's it's a little bit kind of you you can recognize it when you read it as a reader you go you go oh they didn't know what to do in this bit right 
Right. And it's, it's really obvious. And, and even as a, as a reader without that expertise, you kind of go, oh, I don't know what that was. I don't know what that seems <laughs> a bit extraneous or right. that, seems a bit, that seems a bit lumpy. I'm, I'm not sure what that was. Um, and it's just, it's obvious to everyone. And yeah. certainly when novelists and screenwriters have come to me and they've said, I've read their work and, and they've said, you know, okay, hit me with it. What, what's wrong with the plot? And I've said, oh, it's this bit here. And they every time they go, yeah, I hate uh-huh. it. But then I go, why is something wrong with it? And they go, well, I don't know. I'm paying you to tell me. And I'm like, (laughs) I can, I can tell you, but is it going to sink in? You know, we're going to have to work through it together. Otherwise, it's not going to actually click in your mind. Right. So, yeah, structure is key. Well, those were fantastic points. And I have a couple of fiction books that I really, really want to write. And now I feel like I have a much better um, idea of how to get that going because I've been working on my first one for five years and I have a good idea of why that is after this conversation. (laughs) (laughs) So, well, this was super, super interesting. Uh, Oh, just a little uh, glance into the future. I think this will be one of the popular popular interviews for sure. But um, Thank you so much for sharing all that information with us. And, and I can't, I, I'm going to go buy all your books now because I'm excited. <laughs> hopefully everybody else will too. Um, and where, where, where can people find you? Well, you can find me at www.bang2write, bangtowrite.com. Uh, you can also find me at lucyvhayauthor.com. I'm on all the usual platforms. You can find me as Lucy V. Hey, author on Twitter, or on Instagram. You can find me as Bang to Write on Twitter and Facebook. I've also got a Facebook group now, which has got like nearly, I think it's, we've got about 3,000 members now. And it's a really lively group. And everybody's posting all the time. They're posting their log lines. So they're road testing their, um, their uh, concepts all the time in there and they're swapping pages with each other and it's really it's a joy to see actually that everybody's kind of really getting into the peer review thing and they're posting opportunities for each other we've got a bent towards screenwriting in the group but there aren't plenty of novelists in there as well there's quite a few um content marketers like me there's a couple of literary agents in there and some Great. short film directors so really there's there's loads and loads going on uh, uh, going on in there um, I'd say as a conservative es- estimate, there's about 15 posts a day with wow. with various threads on it and people asking one another's advice and things like that, which is fantastic. That's awesome. We will make sure all that information is in the show notes so that people can get can find these places. But mm-hmm. thank you again so much. I really appreciate it. Yes, thank you. Thank you for joining us on the Publisher Podcast. We hope to see you back for the next episode. Great, huge thanks goes to Jasmine Commerce for the use of her song. You can find Jasmine on SoundCloud. Go check out all of her music. We'll see you next time. No, no, no.